angel comes and visits you, if it gives you a gospel other than the one I gave you, don't even listen, even if it's Gabriel. And you know what? What's always interesting to me about that is that I've, I've talked to many people who are of the Mormon faith. And they're teaching with Joseph Smith, and I'm again being respectful, but they're teaching with Joseph Smith is that the angel Moroni came down to earth, he had these golden tablets, and he gave them to Joseph Smith, and those were the Book of Mormon, and, and he told them, you follow this, and so they don't just follow the Bible, they follow the Bible and the Book of Mormon is what they would tell you. Mm -hmm. I just think it's such an interesting story that, hey, if an angel came and gave you books, you'd follow it too. And I thought, I thought all my life was, well, no, angel came to Joseph Smith and gave him those books. And I read a little bit about his life, and I thought, ah, that's crazy. But you know what? Here's my deal. Even if an angel did, even if an angel showed up, gave him golden tablets, and said, hey, follow this doctrine, what does this passage say? Don't do it. <laughs> even if Gabriel shows up, even if Moroni shows up, even wow. if you're having a nice little chit-chat with an angel, don't go for it. Mm. I'm like, wow. I mean, that, that's pretty strong. He's wow. like, no, no, no. i got a gospel here that's going to change the world and change your life. Don't water it down. Don't add to it. Don't think I, come, I can come up with something better. Don't say, oh, well, let me get my little cultural examples from the past that I really enjoyed. Let's do it God's way. In essence, is what he's saying. And, I, you know, I think often we quickly think about how perhaps the Muslim faith is teaching things that we would disagree with. Or new age religion is off course. And... It's great to have discussions about all those things, but what I want you to see is this was happening right in the middle of the first century church. Yep. We didn't think, oh, it's all evil out there. What he's saying, in fact, he says it also in Acts 20 and verse 30. He says, from among you, people will rise up and yep. distort the gospel. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it challenges us to make sure we're reading our Bible and we know what it says. Right. 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 And it challenges us not to, you know, create a following that heads off somewhere without doing a whole lot of prayer and fasting and thoughts. And we got to do it God's way. It's, it's very, 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 this is, this is truth on fire. Mm -hmm. Paul did not have this universalism, pluralism idea, which is everyone's okay. As long as we just believe in some sure. God out there, we're all traveling down different roads. Paul did not say to each his own. Mm -hmm. Paul said, oh my goodness. You guys are still having church service. You're still giving money. You're still praying. But you are way off track. And if you don't wake up, you will be eternally wow. condemned. Right. Wow. Come on. Paul was controversial. People don't like that. We are looking for the approval of men. Mm -hmm. Paul said, I'll say what's on my heart because I'm not looking for anybody else's approval. I want God's. Right. How about you and me? And so I wrote up there in this next little slide, I wrote... To me, what's kind of a cool little phrase. We don't change the gospel. The gospel changes us. Right. Amen. I'd like to change it plenty of times. But he says, no, 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 no. The gospel's just fine. How about working on you? You change you. Truth on fire. Not a whole lot of warm fuzzies in verses 6 through 10. Come on. Not I love you and I'm praying for you constantly. He says, I am concerned for you. And hell awaits some if you don't wake up and turn it around. Mm hmm Alright, that's somewhat, I don't know if that's the bad news, it's good news too, but that's the strong stuff. Let's try, I'm going to close out with amazing grace. Because really, if I were to say the prim primary theme of Galatians 1, probably not my section, verses 1 through 10, but since we're starting off, to me the, the themes of Galatians are certainly truth on fire. You're going to see that over and over again. He is not happy with these Jewish guys that are messing with his churches. But really, one of the primary things, the reason he's not happy is because they're wandering away from the blood and the grace and the mercy and the life of Jesus. That's why he's so upset. 
And so really he emphasizes as he goes along this amazing grace as well. And I even just love the way that verse 4 puts it. He talks about how Jesus has rescued us from this evil age. I was going to pull up a few stories. I'm sure you've read plenty of them, though, about rescue operations. You know, when you rescue somebody, it's dangerous, it's challenging. Sometimes there's a loss of life, but there's just nothing greater and cooler than somebody who's been kidnapped or somebody who, you know, our troops went in and they rescued this person. I mean, that's just very inspirational. The greatest rescue operation there's ever been was the rescue operation of Jesus. Is yeah. mm. the great risk. He could have lost he, he could have lost his spot in heaven. Mm -hmm. But at great risk to himself. No gain whatsoever. He came down. He, he went on this rescue operation for me and for you. Mm. But here's here's the way I want us to get the point of grace today. I want to try a little different direction. Please keep us away. We'll see how we do. Who's that? Stephen Jobs. Alright, Stephen Jobs. I picked three people that have uh, died in 2011. Here's, here's what I want to ask you, Stephen Jobs. Many have called him the Thomas Edison of our age, the Henry Ford of our age, the college dropout who went into his parents' garage, started Apple, uh, later was fired from his very own company, but then brought back to try to pull it back together. I read this past week that in 2011, apparently Apple passed Mobile Exxon as the most lucrative company in America. So millions, perhaps billions of dollars. Every Our, our common language today, I, iPhone, iPad, iPod. He, he, he made technology cool. Uh, he literally changed the world. Mm -hmm. In fact, the day after he died, the front page of the New Yorker had a picture of Stephen Jobs walking toward heaven. He was about to go in the pearly gates. You know how typically in those they have the book of life there, but in this particular cartoon they had the iPod of life <laughs> instead of the book of life. And they were trying to make the point that he not only changed, he changed everything, you know, he changed everything. I mean, you know, not they use books anymore. It was the, uh, the, 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 the iPad of life, I guess it was. Uh, he was the inventor or co-inventor of 340 plus different patents. 340 things. And yet, perhaps you know that he also died too young of pancreatic cancer, mm -hmm. yeah. which is probably a little lesson in itself, too. With all the money, sure. with all the fame, with all the change in the world, he's gone and answering to God now. But here's the question I want to ask you. How successful is successful enough? If Steve Jobs were the standard of success, how would you measure up? How many of you have... have have, been, have never been named Fortune 500 CEO of the year. Raise your hand if you've never been named. You've never had over 300 patents. Okay, you bunch of losers. <laughs> How successful is successful enough? Right. All right, let's try another one. It doesn't build me up, Jimmy. Who's that? Al Davis. All right, Al Davis also died in 2011. Let's try him. How much winning is winning enough? Al Davis was the head coach and GM of Oakland Rangers. He started at the age of 33. Grew up in Brooklyn, New York, without even a sports background, without being tied into the business. Pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. Went out, bought a team. An amazing story. His motto, just win, baby. He named the first Latino coach in the National Football League. He named the first African-American head coach in the National Football League. His team's played in five different Super Bowls, won three of them. He's in the Hall of Fame. He made millions of dollars. Raise your hand if you are not presently in the NFL Hall of Fame. If you've never played in the Super Bowl, keep your hand up. 
Okay, turn to your neighbor and call him a loser. This is loser. <laughs> I know my wife can do that. I think some of the wives enjoy telling their husband. All right, here we go. How much winning is winning enough? If Al Davis, if Bill Belichick, fill in the blank, uh, Pat Summit, if they were the standards of winning, how do you measure up? How do I? Let's try another one. This one's going to be a little harder, although I did put his name up there, so at least you can read it. All right. Roger Williams. Who's even heard of Roger Williams before? All right. Where'd he go? Get besides, a little more culturally. What's my question here? Uh, how talented is talented enough? Roger Williams is the first pianist ever on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He went to Juilliard School of Music. He's called the pianist to the presidents. He started with Harry Truman and played personally in front of nine presidents in a row. He's the best-selling pianist of all times. He has 18 gold or platinum records. For the teens among us, those are those round things. <laughs> this is a guy who can be unbelievably talented. How many, how many, actually, this, how many of us actually even started piano lessons at one point in time when you were young? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you kept them going past high school? Okay, none of us except Susan Parker. Here we go. Okay, we got a couple. Oh, there we go. All right. Anyway, but if, if, if he's the standard for talent, how do you measure up? Okay, look across the room. Somebody's going to call him a loser. Okay. All right, listen. None of these other. Okay, all, all, these, all three of these people died in the last year. There's quite a few people that didn't die, at least to my knowledge. How attractive is attractive enough? Actually, I personally don't think George Clooney is all that great. He's kind of gray and getting older. And, but apparently the women in my household thought, yeah, yeah, he needs to be up there. <laughs> I saw Dustin up there. I thought Dustin was just as good. <laughs> You know, what I always like is I'll be standing, you know, let's say somebody comes up to you and they say, man, you are really good looking for your age. <laughs> kind of like, given the way things deteriorate, <laughs> the way that your acids in your body aren't working that well together, you're not really as ugly as I thought maybe you would be at some point. <laughs> but if they're the standard, for attractiveness, how do you rate? Sure. Mm. How do you measure up? Way above those guys. <laughs> We're gonna get Ed's pride here next, right? Because <laughs> Ben walked into the picture, this man named Jesus Christ. And how good is good enough? And you look at his life and his teachings and his heart and his sacrificing, and we're supposed to measure up to that. You know, you know what makes it into heaven? Perfection makes it into heaven. Mm -hmm. There's not any sin, there's not any imperfection in heaven. Wow. How good is good enough? Mm. It's a pretty high standard. Mm -hmm. It's a little troubling. Yep. Think, wow, I don't really measure in a whole host of areas. Right. Here's what I want you to think about. 2,000 years ago, grace <laughs> came to Galatia. Mm -hmm. And today, God wants grace to come to Canada. Right.